Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Time now for the GX on Agriculture podcast. GX on Agriculture with Doug Falconer. Good afternoon and welcome to GX on Agriculture. Coming up on today's program, there was a lot of sideways trading this week in the major grain markets. We'll hear from PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Anna Piccolo about canola and spring wheat. A senior executive with Nutrien Ag Solutions is confident North American farmers will be buying fertilizer to maximize 2023 production. Mark Thompson is Nutrien's chief commercial officer, and he had some comments yesterday during the company's fourth quarter earnings conference call. In the past, farmers and ranchers have used strychnine to control Richardson ground squirrels, but Saskatchewan Agriculture's James Tanzi says starting next month that will no longer be allowed. We will explain some alternatives. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of GX on Agriculture. But first, it's time for the Agriculture Outlook with Precision Weather. And that's a presentation of Milligan Bio. Milligan Bio now offers bio meal for your livestock, giving your animals more protein, more energy, and more of what they need. It's also brought to you by Sean Prahitka, your Remax Blue Chip Ag Division Specialist. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. There was a lot of sideways trading this week in the major grain markets. PI Financial Commodity Futures Advisor Adam Piccolo says canola was down about $1 per metric ton, while spring wheat futures were up about $0.03 cents a bushel. It's been a pretty sideways week here for some of the grains. On the March canola front, we're down approximately $1 a ton. We are gaining most of that back here this week. Again, we are up about $5, sitting at $8.29 a ton on the March. On the Minneapolis wheat front, we're up approximately $0.03 a bushel on the week. Today, we are up about two and a half cents, sitting at nine dollars and thirty two and three quarters cents. So a couple of things to definitely watch. The first thing is that there has been a surge in the u s dollar higher, and that is definitely affecting some of these grain markets right now. But however, for wheat, the dry conditions are really more of the story here right now. The five day forecast models show very dry weather for Kansas, Oklahoma, northern Texas. The six to ten day forecast models do show above normal precipitation for the northern plains and also for the southern Midwest. But rains are really uncertain for southwestern Kansas and kind of those areas like I mentioned. So seeing again some a little bit of momentum potentially on the wheat side of things. With Chicago wheat, we did get close to that $8 a bushel earlier this week on the March. It did test that and then declined. However, Minneapolis, if we do see a breakout here above around this 940 area, 
we could see a nice rally potentially from a chart perspective. And then when I'm looking at the canola side of things, there is still a lot of uncertainty for production in Argentina, and that's really supporting the soybean market. So for Argentina growing areas, a front did move through on Thursday, producing some widespread showers for the northern areas of the country, but actually only light showers for the main growing areas. So after the next couple of days here, it will be at least a week of dryness and temperatures will be cooler, but the lack of moisture continues to be a major concern for corn and soybeans. And and I do think that is actually supporting those markets and in turn, in turn canola here in the short term. He then provides his price outlook for next week and beyond. Well, next week and the next couple of weeks, we are seeing the the March futures come off the board for a lot of the commodities here. Uh, and so that's where we could see, especially for canola, we've seen in the past some funny things happen come into expiration. The May contract is already the kind of more actively traded one. So that's where we might see some rolling of contracts and, and different positioning here over the next kind of week. Adam Piccolo is a Commodity Futures Advisor with PI Financial in Winnipeg. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of the program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94 Ag Review. Farmers and the agriculture industry are still waiting to hear about what will happen when it comes to the federal government's fertilizer emissions reduction target. This week at the Future of Food event at Ottawa, Minister of Agriculture and Agri-Food Marie-Claude Bibeau was quite positive about the timeline of a fertilizer tariff money announcement and the finalization and rollout of the Sustainable Canadian Agriculture Partnership. But when it comes to an official date on when the industry might see the feedback collected through last year's fertilizer emissions reduction consultation process, Bebo is less definitive on when the public will have a chance to see what was shared. Though she did say she is very close to making an announcement on how an amount equivalent to the more than $33 million collected in 2022 as tariffs on fertilizer will be spent, Bebo did not provide further details on what Ontario and Eastern farmers might expect in the form of a program. Several Ontario producer groups have renewed calls for the tariffs collected to be returned to farmers. There are some notable changes to the monthly report from the International Grains Council, or IGC, primarily in corn and soybeans. The London-based IGC has issued new supply and demand estimates pointing to reduced agricultural production, such as in Argentina, as the main reason for the changes. That's despite increased output in Brazil and other countries. Compared to the IGC's January report, it cut 8 million metric tons from 2022-23 global corn production, now at 1.153 billion. The IGC lopped 7 million metric tons off of its January estimate for 2022-23 world soybean production, now at 378 million metric tons. Wheat saw only minor tweaks to its numbers, with the IGC holding world production for 2022-23 at 796 million metric tons, 
while trade was up by 3 million at 197 million. For total global grain production, the IGC cut 8 million metric tons at 2.248 billion and trade was held at 407 million metric tons. The oat market is somehow managing to garner positive attention even as burdensome massive oat supplies weigh on the market. Randy Stryker, president of Oat Information, presented at Crop Connect in Winnipeg this week and says barring a major weather event, it will take 18 to 24 months to chew through the current large oat supply. But despite the huge tonnage out there drawing down market prices ahead of the spring season, Stryker says the oat market overall is booming. He says oat growers are no longer reliant on the feed market as oats has established itself now as a boutique food commodity. A full 70% of oats now goes into commercial channels, though lower prices may see some more demand creep in from the feed side in the months ahead. Farmers Business Network, or FBN, has announced the appointment of John Vask to the role of Chief Executive Officer. FBN co-founder and current CEO Amal Deshpande will step down as CEO effective February 28th to pursue other interests. Vask has served on the company's board of directors since 2017. Raised on a farm in Iowa, Vask has more than three decades of expertise in agriculture and technology and most recently served as the head of Americas and head of agribusiness for Timasek, a global agri-food investor. This announcement comes on the heels of several others for FBN, including the launch of bridge loans for farmland and surpassing $1 billion in producer financing, launching a partnership with Bovida Nutrition, and announcing a strategic collaboration with the GreenEye Technology Precision Spraying System. A farm worker accused of killing seven people last month at two Northern California mushroom farms has pleaded not guilty. Chen Li Zhao is charged with seven counts of murder and one count of attempted murder. Zhao appeared in court behind a glass partition with his head bowed and spoke only when a Mandarin translator relayed questions from the judge. After the court appearance, San Mateo County District Attorney Steve Wagstaff spoke to KGO. The defendant entered, personally entered, a plea of not guilty to all charges. He gave up his right to a speedy preliminary hearing. 66-year-old Zhao is accused of shooting and killing four co-workers and wounding another one at the Half Moon Bay Mushroom Farm where he worked, then driving to another mushroom farm where he was fired eight years ago and shooting to death three former co-workers. I'm Donna Water. And that's the Ag Review portion of our program. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. It's mainly sunny and minus 3 degrees in the Yorkton-Melville region. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. A senior executive with Nutrien Ag Solutions is confident North American farmers will be buying fertilizer to maximize 2023 production. While higher fertilizer prices dented demand last summer, 
A decline in prices during the fall did not boost demand as much as anticipated. Observers believe some farmers are waiting for pricing trends to stabilize. Mark Thompson is Nutrient's chief commercial officer. This is from yesterday's fourth quarter earnings conference call. And we do see strong grower demand coming, but really there is this cautious approach because of price volatility that's delayed some of that purchasing. And assuming that uh, we do see strong fundamentals emerge, we'll put uh, a strain on the supply chain. Our uh, terminal network and distribution assets as it relates to potash are really unparalleled in the North American market. So we are set up very well to deliver when that spring demand breaks. I think the same would be true from a nitrogen standpoint. In nitrogen, uh, the channel is probably about average purchases relative to historical levels. But again, we have seen some grower caution. Our network is positioned uh, to meet that demand. Jeff Tarsi is the president of Global Ag Retail with Nutrient Ag Solutions. No, we're sitting a bit below where we would historically be on inventories and you got to go through it by product, uh, particularly with potash. When I look at the fundamentals and what I think what's going to be demand-driven, I go back first to prepay in the fourth quarter. We had very strong prepay uh, from our customer base. If I look at our seed book today, our seed book is very strong as well. So what I'm absolutely convinced of is, you know, we're going to plant a big crop globally. Tarsi notes Nutrient Ag Solutions keeps tabs on soil test results. We've got an ability to look in and see what these soil fertility levels look like. If I look at a, at a product like potash, I see about 40% of those tests that say we're below some standard of where we need to be in order to maximize yields. So we anticipate a lot of buying for the spring, and we could have some supply chain constraints if product doesn't start moving. And from my perspective within our retail organization, I feel strongly because we've invested very heavily in our supply chain. But growers just been a little bit slower in a lower cost environment to come in and commit, particularly as it relates to nutritional. The previous comments were from Nutrien's fourth quarter earnings conference call yesterday. Livestock market conditions. U.S. live cattle futures for April are trading at 164.72, up 65. June live cattle are trading at 160.15, up 42. March feeder cattle trading at 186.62, up 40. April feeder cattle trading at 190.50, down 10. April lean hogs trading at 85.60, down 17. May lean hogs trading at 94.60, down 25. And that's the livestock market conditions. In the past, farmers and ranchers have used strychnine to control Richardson ground squirrels. Saskatchewan Agriculture Insect and Vertebrate Pest Management Specialist James Tansey says starting next month, that is no longer allowed. Pest Management Regulatory Agency of Health Canada issued a decision, uh, a final decision in 2020 uh, that uh, the phase out of strychnine for ground squirrel control would begin. Uh, so that allowed uh, um, a manufacturer to continue for a year after that, sales could continue for another year after that, and then use can, could, could continue of any material that had been 
purchased could continue for another year after that. So that final year ends on March 4th of 2023. So we're, we're, we're staring at that right now. Uh, so past that, use of strychnine for ground, ground squirrel control is, is no longer legal. However, there are registered alternatives for ground squirrel control. Tansy says a research project was conducted in Saskatchewan and Alberta to compare the effectiveness of those products. Uh, and real tip of the hat to RM111 and uh, also a, a companion study in Alberta with our colleagues uh, with Alberta Agriculture. This study looked at uh, uh, the comparative efficacy and non-target effects of strychnine as the standard uh, versus a couple of zinc phosphide products, so burrow oat bait and ZP rodent oat bait ag. Both of these are zinc phosphide products and they are toxic through the release of phosphine gas under weakly acidic environments. So like an animal gut, animal, animal eats it, produces phosphine gas and you get the toxic effects of that. Uh, we also looked at two anticoagulants, uh, a, a, a chlorfastinone product, uh, Rosol ready to use or RTU and a diefast known product, uh, Ramic Green. Uh, our uh, results indicated uh, good efficacy of all of these products. Uh, the best efficacy that we saw in the Saskatchewan portion of the study was with uh, strychnine, the standard, of course, uh, but the, uh, the results were, uh, were uh, comparable to uh, the zinc phosphide products. So zinc phosphide was effic as efficacious as the strychnine products uh, in, this, in, the, uh, in, in this study. Tansy says they will conduct the study again in 2023 in order to gather more information. He suggests farmers should be making inquiries now so they have product available this spring. You know, we want to make sure that we have a really robust data set, but the extension messaging that we're forwarding right now is that the zinc phosphide products are excellent alternatives to strychnine. Um, they also have... Um, uh, a bit of a benefit is that they're available through commercial retailers. So I, my uh, uh, advice to growers would be to contact the retailers very soon and make sure that they're going to have supplies of that material. And if they've traditionally had uh, ground squirrel populations, because of conditions to be warm and dry again in the spring, they could see continued ground squirrel pressure and should be prepared to control those and control them early. So when growers are thinking about uh, you know seeding, they should be thinking about ground squirrel control because you want to. You want to hit the adult females, uh, and they're going to be coming up really early, probably first week of March. Everything depends on temperature, of course, and that's where you want to control them before they get their litters. James Tansy is the insect and vertebrate pest management specialist in Saskatchewan. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back in 30 seconds time. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. I'm Doug Falconer. Grain weeks 23 to 26 amounted to a month of ups and downs when it came to rail car movement. Milt Poirier is with QGI Consulting, and he monitors the railway's grain movement performance on behalf of the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of grain companies and producer organizations. He comments on weeks 25 and 26. It's been a roller coaster. I think that's a pretty accurate description. If you, if we go all the way back, if you recall in weeks 21 and 22, which were the weeks right before and after Christmas, performance for both railways was very poor. And, you know, we had some severe cold on the prairies in week 21, and that kind of triggered it all. 
But then we had seen, you know, a bit of uh, hopeful recovery, both from CN and, and CP in weeks 23 and 24. Not that performance was tremendous, but it was much better than we had seen, you know, over the Christmas and New Year's period. Unfortunately, not sustainable, which is not surprising given kind of the up and down performance we've seen for a while now, which seems to kind of cycle, if you will. You get a week or two of good performance, a week or two of bad performance. The last couple of weeks, 25 and 26, pretty much downhill for both CN and CP. CP with the biggest decline, the last couple of weeks have been very poor for them. Week 26 in particular, order fulfillment performance falling to 55%, which is their worst performance of the year. CN, you know, not quite as bad, but, but still on a downward trajectory for the third straight week. We had initially reported for CN week 26 at uh, 69%, but we've since learned that there was some erroneous reporting by by a shipper, so that we're going to adjust that this week just a, a, a hair. So it'll actually be a restated 72%, which, you know, it's better than 69, but it's not great. So, you know, for me, this kind of downward trajectory that we've seen, you can kind of bring it all the way back to weeks 21 and 22. That's really when the landscape kind of changed. 23 and 24, admittedly, were better, but then it turned the other way. And now for two straight weeks, you know, it's been going on, going in the wrong direction. So for me, I think it really goes all the way back to Christmas. Vancouver has been, you know, a problem, I guess it's fair to say, for both railways. I don't think that it's the only issue that's plaguing the railways, but obviously we all know that Vancouver is a critical corridor. I mean, not just for industry, but for the railways, it's the biggest volume corridor for both CN and CP. It's it's disproportionately large for CP, particularly once Thunder Bay closes, which it has for this season. A little less so for CN because CN has the outlet north to Prince Rupert, but it's still CN's biggest corridor. So, you know, in the middle of weeks 25 and 26, we've seen some rain issues off and on in Vancouver and you know we we've known about this for a long time it's been a problem for a long time that when you get enough rain in vancouver whether it be volume or frequency or a combination of those two things that port operations can start to be adversely affected so typically what happens is that you know if there's too much rain they can't load vessels or at least not at the rate that they should be able to load them and if vessel loading is impacted enough, then that tends to create space constraints in the terminals because they're not moving product out of storage in the terminals fast enough. And eventually that ripples back into the number of rail cars they can unload. And if it's particularly bad, it then ripples all the way back into the rail system where you start to see cars, you know, for want of a better term, piling up trying to get to Vancouver. And so dwell times rise, the number of, you know, cars sitting around for two, three, four, five days, whether it's at origin or at destination or en route tends to go up. And we've seen that, you know, in weeks 25 and 26, we saw idle car counts go up. We saw dwell times increase. We saw port unloads go down. So I think that, that it's probably benefactor. But at the end of the day, Vancouver is not the only corridor where the railways have struggled, you know, off and on over this two to four week period. The railways would argue and have that this inability to load in the rain 
is a direct driver of their ability to supply cars in the country for loading in a timely manner because cars sit longer and it impacts you know the efficiency with which they can move their fleet and i think that's probably a fair argument the problem is that you know they have 11,000 car fleets at best there's 4,000 to 4,500 cars under load in the in the system at any given time so you really you know wonder why empty car spotting has been so poor and frankly where the rest of the cars are <laughs> so there's likely some truth and there's likely some impact as the railways say but it's really difficult for us to gauge the severity of that impact because of course we don't have any visibility into you know how the railways are moving their empty cars and we don't have a lot of visibility frankly on on port operations so you know we can see signs that there were issues but we can't really you know quantify it Poirier then talks about prairie rail service on a province by province basis the top line story as you know generally tends to uh, flow down uh, to the provinces and and this is no different really the last couple of weeks i think that could be kind of summed up by saying that performance across the provinces has been uneven at best generally with a downward trend although volatile week to week you know we've seen some ups and some downs and and not some small swings week to week either but when you look across the provinces you know not a lot of consistency in whole or by either railway you know manitoba i would say has generally seen the best performance over the last couple of weeks not great but certainly the best of the three on the other end of the ledger saskatchewan has you know by far seen the worst performance from cn and cp over the last couple of weeks and week 26 was particularly bad just going from memory i think cp was in around 47 percent order fulfillment in saskatchewan in week 26 and I think CP or CN was nominally better at about 58%. So that's that's pretty bad. And then Alberta kind of right between the two. So a little bit less volatility, not great performance, but not terrible performance and still bouncing around, you know, week to week. So it's it's tough for shippers in any of these provinces, given the volatility that they're seeing on a weekly basis to really have any idea what to expect, you know, as to what's coming at them next week, which is really a problem frankly, when you're trying to plan a supply chain and you have commitments at the other end. So at port position, for instance, with vessels. So, uh, you know, a massive challenge for them when you have volatility at this level. That's Milt Poirier with QGI Consulting. I'll have more with Milt coming up in a few minutes time. But first, it's time for the commodities update. And that's a presentation of Lane Realty. When it's time to sell the farm, call Lane Realty your trusted and experienced farmland real estate company. To include your property for showings, call 620-7260 or visit lanerealty.com. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at $832 per metric ton, up $8.50. May canola trading at 825.40 up $7.20. March Minneapolis wheat trading at 929 and a half down 3 quarters of a cent. March Kansas City wheat trading at 905 and a half up 7 cents. March Chicago wheat 
trading at 765 and three quarters. That's up three quarters of a cent. March corn trading at 675 and three quarters, down a quarter of a cent. March soybeans trading at 1525 per bushel. That's down one and a half cents. March oats trading at 368 per bushel. And that's up five cents. And that's the commodities update. Please stay tuned. GX on Agriculture will be back right after this. Welcome back to GX on Agriculture. Milt Poirier is with QGI Consulting and he monitors the railway's grain movement performance on behalf of the Ag Transport Coalition, a consortium of grain companies and producer organizations. Poirier explains how the lower order fulfillment performance has impacted the outstanding orders coming out of week 26. A direct outflow of poor order fulfillment performance, which we've seen, you know, clearly in the last couple of weeks, is that your outstanding order counts uh, go up. Now, CPs had problems with outstanding orders. I mean, let's go back to September, really, is when their issue started. And they've been dragging, you know, that tail, as we call it, of outstanding orders from one week to the next pretty much since then, you know, in varying degrees, they kind of catch up a little and then they fall far behind and then they catch up a little bit. But but it's steadily been been a big number. In some weeks, it's been a very big number. CN's been a little bit better, generally speaking. But when we look at the last couple of weeks, the numbers for both CN and CP have started to spike considerably, you know, culminating with week 26. Coming out of week 26, we're, for the two railways combined, we're just under 3,000 outstanding orders, which is a massive number. And CP has got about 2,000 of those, and CN has got about 1,000 of those. So for CP, as hard as it is to believe, that's not even their worst week of the year. I'm, I'm going to say from memory, that's their third or fourth worst week of the year. So this has been a challenge for a long time for them. CN, I think this is their second time that they've hit this number, roughly. But the issue with CN is that the number's been climbing for three straight weeks now. If you go back three weeks, that was about 300. Then it went to 600. And now it's almost at 1,000. So that's not a good sign, but that's what happens. And the only way that you can avoid creating this backlog, if you will, which is a strategy that CN admittedly has employed uh, in the past, is to cancel orders and and that way you know you you avoid creating the backlog because you're just saying that i don't accept that demand so it's not really there i'm going to focus on the demand that's in front of me and despite the fact that they've done that arguably less so in the last month than they have other than week 22 which was a disaster they're still building their outstanding orders and you know that's a function of their capacity and their ability to spot empty cars and we'll talk about that a little bit but yeah, this is worrisome because, see, the problem is that you can't get rid of this issue in a week. When you've got numbers at this level, it, it's going to take three, four, five, six weeks maybe for them to shake this tail and, and get current. So, you know, shippers could be looking at these issues, frankly, arguably, till the middle of March. That's not unrealistic given where the numbers are right now. Milt Poirier is with QGI Consulting 
and he monitors the railway's grain movement performance on behalf of the Ag Transport Coalition. His comments come from the Grain by Train podcast produced by Pulse Canada, a member of the Ag Transport Coalition. Farm Bulletin Board. Farm Credit Canada is hosting a Young Farmer Summit event in Yorkton on March 1st. The summit is a series of free events across Canada aimed at attracting and engaging the next generation of farmers as well as food manufacturers and retailers. You get real-world advice from engaging speakers, network with peers, and take control of your own business journey. People under the age of 40 who are either working in the industry or pursuing a career in agriculture through education can register. So it'll be held on March 1st at the Painted Hand Casino in Yorkton. It runs from 10 in the morning until 3 in the afternoon. However, the Young Farmer Summits are subject to change. If you plan to attend one, please contact them or visit their website to see if there's any change at www.fcc.ca events. Participants can register online for this event at www.fcc.ca slash youngfarmerssummit. People are encouraged to sign up early to reserve their spot as these events fill up quickly. Featured speakers in Yorkton include Dale Kurd. He'll be talking about why aren't we connecting the keys to collaborative and effective teams. Evan Shout. He'll be talking about Young, Broke, and In Love, How to Navigate Financial Risk in Farming. Another speaker is Danielle Wildfong. She'll be talking about relationships being the new bottom line at your farm. And the final speaker is Emily O'Brien, talking about entrepreneurship and emotional profit. So once again, that's a Young Farmer Summit, sponsored by Farm Credit Canada, coming up right here in Yorkton on March 1st. If you'd like to register, go to fcc.ca slash youngfarmersummit. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. And that'll do it for GX on Agriculture for today. Be sure to tune in again on Tuesday at 12.15 for another edition of the program. You've been listening to the GX on Agriculture podcast. 